Please stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. On the second week of Easter, we are picking up exactly where we left off last week. Um, And so during the season of Easter, we look at Jesus's post-resurrection appearances. So this is what happened right after Mary said, I have seen the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts help us to live and love like you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Scar stories. Now, I'm guessing that about everybody in the congregation has a scar story, if not several. Just the other day, I was out at the park with the kids and talking to another parent. And as Everett, this all-boy three-year-old, is running around like crazy, I made the comment about being shocked that I haven't been in the emergency room with him yet and I'm knocking on wood, right, so that that doesn't happen. We immediately, though, started sharing Scar stories. The time that Eliana was helping wash the dishes and slipped and bit through her tongue, she still has that scar on her tongue. Her daughter has a scar on her chin from a very similar experience. Telling our Scar stories is one of my favorite get-to-know-you games. Everyone has at least one scar by the time that they're in high school, and each scar comes with its own story. Scar stories tell our life story. 
Some of the stories are painful, others are funny, some are significant, while others, not so much. Some are filled with shame, while others are filled with pride. But without exception, every single scar we have is a visible reminder of the wounds that we experienced. Now, in our gospel for today, we find a 2,000-year-old scar story. It begins on that first Easter evening with the disciples gathered behind a locked door because they were afraid, they were terrified, they were traumatized by what had just happened to their friend, their teacher, their Lord. But then, what seems like out of nowhere, Jesus just appears among them somehow, and he offers words of comfort. Peace be with you. There Jesus was. The one that they thought had died, the one that they thought had been stolen from the tomb, the one that Mary proclaimed to them, I have seen the Lord. There he was. Nail-scarred hands, pierced side, offering comfort and peace in the midst of the unthinkable. Now, I can only imagine the disciples' heads were spinning, trying to understand all that had happened in the last week, let alone probably the last three years of Jesus' ministry. But Jesus had one more lesson for them. Jesus had one more gift to give them. He breathed on them. He gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the greatest love, the power of forgiveness. To be honest, when I think about this scene, it gives me chills because of the beauty and the wonder. I can't imagine sitting in that room where the disciples were encountering Jesus on that very day. Now, Thomas was not there for some reason or another. He didn't get to see, and I'm sure that there was grief, that there was regret, and maybe even anger around him not being in that room. But here is the thing to remember about Thomas. He wasn't as much of a doubter as he was a realist, right? He had always been the disciple that was looking at the world practically and calculated and realistically. Think back to that famous passage in John 14. Jesus talks to the disciples after the Last Supper, and he tells them, not to be afraid that there's many rooms in his father's house, that where he was going, there was a place prepared for them. Who was it that spoke up? Who was it that said something? It was Thomas. Thomas looked at Jesus and he says, uh, excuse me, Lord, but we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? And when you hear it, you can almost read between his words. If you're going to ask us to follow you, then we'll need like an address or a destination point, or you're at least going to have to give us some directions. Thomas was thinking realistically. Or think back to John chapter 11, verse 16, when Jesus told his disciples he was heading to Jerusalem. Thomas knows what that means because Jesus had just told them, I must go to Jerusalem and die. So Thomas had already calculated what that meant for him, what that meant for the rest of Jesus' followers, and he boldly proclaims, well, let us go also 
that we might die with you. Maybe this is why we don't find Thomas behind the locked door that day. Maybe he didn't fear. Maybe he was really okay with living out his life and the fate that Jesus just had. So he went out, and he was talking to people. He was telling people the good news. He wasn't living in fear behind a locked door. Instead, he was out in the world giving forgiveness that Jesus was behind a locked door giving to the disciples. Thomas was a realist. So Thomas simply asks when he gets back for the same exact thing that the other disciples and that Mary had got to experience as well. And Jesus did just that. Jesus met Thomas where he was in life, and he gave him what he needed so that he could move on. From behind a locked door, again, Jesus appears to Thomas and the rest of the disciples, and he says again, peace be with you. Look, put your finger here, touch my side. Really, I am always with you. But now that Jesus is before Thomas, now that he sees the nail-scarred hands and the pierced side, well, Thomas doesn't need to actually touch. He sees. He realizes that Jesus is present with him always. He knows. He knows that Jesus' scars tell a resurrection story of hope that is bigger than the grave. He knows that they tell a resurrection story of a God that has defeated death once and for all. Jesus' scars tell a story. Love is embodied right there in front of Thomas. Love is present in the scars of Jesus. Now, it's always been fascinating to me um, that Jesus' post-resurrection body has scars. Why did God not raise Jesus in a perfected body? Wouldn't the resurrected body be like perfectly healed, without blemish, without scar? Well, Christy Brown captured the power of the presence of Jesus' scars when she wrote this. She said, Jesus, our Lord and our God, in the glory of the resurrection, still bears the wounds of his experience of God with us on earth. The resurrection did not remove the human experience from Jesus. The risen Lord still bears on his body the scars that speak of his solidarity with human suffering in all forms. These scars serve as a reminder that God is with us through all things, especially the appalling, destructive, and death-dealing times. The image of the risen Christ with wounds in his hands and his side reminds us that when we suffer, well, that so did our God. When we cry out in loneliness, so did our God. When we feel abandoned and alone, we remember that Christ hung on the cross and yelled for us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
We don't have a God who stands at a distance, but rather one who fully entered in to the reality of our pain. So when we suffer, we know that Christ can say, yeah, I've been there too, and I have the wounds to prove it. Christ's scars become part of our story, but also our scars become part of God's story. The scars of Christ become scars of hope as we deal with our own wounds in life. It seems that there's some scars that we like to show off, that there's other ones that we want sewed up neatly so that no one ever knew that they were there. But scars, whether they're visible to see or not, are something that we all have in common, something that we all share. We all have experienced pain, whether that's physically or emotionally in our lives. But we are so often reluctant to share that with one another. I often hear when I speak to people that they feel like they have to have it all together to be able to come to church. They have to be perfect before they ever enter the building. They believe that they wouldn't be welcomed because of the scars that they bear. And maybe even some have left the church because they feel like the church pretends to be something. It isn't dressing up its scars, covering its wounds, not dealing with real issues and challenges of life. But that isn't in our lesson today. Our lesson today is that Christ reveals his scars to tell a resurrection story, to let us know what the resurrection makes possible. So what does the resurrection make possible? Well, it makes possible for us to remember that our flawed, scarred, broken self can be beautifully transformed by a God that out of death brought life, that out of brokenness brought hope, that out of chaos brought order. The resurrection of Jesus makes it possible for each and every one of us to show our scars and to tell a resurrection story too of a God that redeems us, of a God that loves us even if we have scars. Now, I know it's hard to share, it's hard to be vulnerable, and it's hard to tell others about our lives and admit our hurt or wrongdoing. It might even be uncomfortable and risky, but Jesus walked through a locked door to some scared disciples to give them peace and the power of forgiveness. Jesus walked through a locked door again to meet Thomas right where he was at. And you know what? Jesus still walks through the locked doors of our hearts to give us peace when we are frightened and strength when we need to forgive others and ourselves, to meet us in our most vulnerable places, scars and all, to give us boldness to proclaim a resurrection story. We are to be the hands and feet of Christ the nailed, scarred hands and feet, the broken and healed by God's grace and love 
hands and feet of Christ. We are scarred and broken people, but we're scarred and broken people with a scarred and broken Savior who died for us. In Jesus' scarred hands, in Jesus' pierced sides, our sins are forgiven. We are given a second chance. We are given new life even when we still bear the old scars. So instead of hiding our scars, let's say, look and see where God has redeemed me. These scars tell a resurrection story. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia and amen.